This is the third week, uh, and I know that's coming off of the holidays. Some of you have, may have uh, missed a week or two. Uh, it's okay. We have all of the previous ones on our website, funchurch.com, to kind of catch you up. But what we've started this year is uh, looking at what are the, the principles of greatness, right? What are the things? I, I don't want just to have a happy new year. In fact, I don't want our church just to be happy. I want us to be great, right? When God looks at our church, when he comes back, he's like, man, you guys did great work, right? When 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 we get to that final that, that exit interview, we meet with God, you know, you know, you say, well done. That's what I'm saying. Great job, right? Good and faithful sermon. We say, you did great. That's what I want. And I want our church to be great. And so we said, what is it? Where does greatness come from? And it's a very, very different than uh, this world defines greatness or where they try to find it. And uh, so we wanted to look in scripture and say, where does greatness come from? And that's what we've been devoting ourselves to now. Each week, we like to memorize a passage of Scripture. It helps us as we meditate on God's Word and think about it. And so today, we're going to memorize a passage that is called The Great Compassion, and that is Matthew twenty three eleven. A lot of you know it, but, but uh, it is a little bit of uh, a tongue twister as we begin to say it. So this is what it says, The greatest amongst you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What an amazing passage. We would talk about greatness, and Jesus tells us the secret to it, right? And we're going to talk about that today. Now, it is so different than the way that we've been taught to live, right? And the, how all of life. It's important for us to begin really thinking about this in our day-to-day life, which is why I chose this as a memory verse, the great compassion. So, in your bulletins, there's a memory verse card. You could take that out and put it in your pocket, your wallet, tape it to the back of your phone case. I don't care. Just a place that you can look at it. And remind yourself throughout the week, where does this greatness come from? As we, uh, a good thing. It's a tool for you. All right. Now, I started this series, uh, and, and uh, one of the things that helped me formulate this series as I was putting it together was this, this quote that I came along by, and that's a great statement. And it says this, A great commitment to the great commandments and the great commission, done with great compassion, will grow a great church and a great Christian. Isn't that a great statement? Isn't that true? I mean, I had, to, I had to sit there and ponder that for a while. I really did. I had to think through it. I was like, is that true? And the more I thought about it, that is, that is a very uh, important statement. So last couple weeks, we talked about this, the greatness challenge. We, we focused on the great commandments, right? We wanted to say uh, the first week we looked at we have to follow greatly, to love God with our heart, our soul, and our mind. What does that look like, right? And, and the practical, real thing, how do we do that? And then last week we talked about the second half of the great commandments, right? Which is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because Jesus said that's the, the, the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. And so we talked about what it, how do we obey this law, well, we'll see, it's important that we don't just obey the law of God. It's how we do it. Today, we're going to talk about done with great compassion, right? How we do things as Christians is just as important as what we do. Scripture has, has got warnings in there about uh, obedience for, in the wrong way, right? It says we could obey and, and be like the biggest givers and the, and the most sacrificial people and all this kind of stuff, right? We can live like, we can obey all of the laws like perfectly and do all that stuff. But if, if we don't have love, it says, then we're wasting time. We're just noisy and annoying. Have you ever met like a really, really righteous person that doesn't have a lot of love? That legalistic, isn't it annoying to be around them? all the time them correcting you and like, like all the, the jots and tittles that you've missed and they make sure that you get them but there's not love and they do all these things in life but not because of compassion for others but they just do them and it makes it ugly I think that's the picture of religion that a lot of people in our culture have and it's an ugly thing 
So today we're going to talk about it's not just what we do. Yes, we want to fulfill those great commandments. If we do anything, we to make sure we get those, but how we do them matters. And so we're done with great compassion. So the challenge this week is to serve greatly. And we'll get into that. Now, the, um, this week is we're celebrating uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, just a, a remarkable man that uh, made a huge difference in our culture, in our world, right? And he lived his life. One of the reasons he was able to make such a difference is that he had a guiding principle in his life, right? The principle of, of nonviolence. And it was by living according to that principle is what empowered the change to take place, right? You know, everybody has a principle that kind of marks out our life, how we live things. Martin Luther had that, King Jeter had that principle of nonviolence, did some amazing things. Well, think about uh, one of his great influencers, uh, not only scripture, scripture was a huge influencer for, because uh, he was a pastor, which I think is awesome. Go team, go. <laughs> but also, Henry David Thoreau. You know, his, his, his book on Walden Pond, you know, Henry David Thoreau thought, had this principle in his life that, that uh, he wrote on, all this kind of stuff, was civil disobedience how to be able to stand up and say something is wrong and then face the consequences for it but still not give in to a broken system. And, and his writings, his life, it, it certainly impacted the way that he lived. Or think about this, uh, Mother Teresa. Now she had a principle in her life, it was a principle of compassion. Right? Her life, how she gave her life, how she lived, how she, she served other people. And, and so that principle of compassion certainly was something that, that shaped her entire ministry and brought her, her, her greatness. How about this? Winston Churchill, one of my favorite quotes of all time. My wife will tell you, I love this quote. Never, you might know this, and I'll let you complete it. Never, never, never give up. That's right. Yeah, see, the rest of you, all those who are, com- are competitive, you know, right? I love that. Winston Churchill had this principle in life called perseverance. And you look at, it wasn't just as he stood toe-to-toe against a, a, uh, the Axis powers and he was standing against them, right, when everybody else was falling. It wasn't just his entire life. You see this, this principle of persistence that led him to become the man that he was. Or Vince Lombardi. Anybody watching the football games later today? You have like eight hours of football and chicken wings like I do looking ahead of me? Yes! Love this time of year, Right? Vince Lombardi, he had a principle. He had this wonderful quote. He said, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. Yeah, right? When I coach football, I'm like, that's, that's into me, right? If I'm going to coach, we're going to coach to win. Clearly, we're going to teach, you know, character and things like that, right? But they like, if you're going to go, there's a goal to things, right? Vince Lombardi. So when you win the Super Bowl, what do the people lift up a trophy that has his name on it? Right? There was a principle that he had in his life. Everybody lives by some kind of principle. All of us have things that are shaping the way that we live. And I think the very first thing as we begin this is we have to stop, just to take a second, and start begin thinking about what is the principle that you live by? What is the principle of your life? Now, some principles lead to great things and others lead to not so great things. I think a lot of us, even though we live by certain principles in our life, we don't ever think about them, right? They're just kind of under the surface, kind of running the show, but... We don't ever take time to consider. I think it's a good thing this week to take, to just take some time and really be thinking about the shape of your life. What is the principle that you live by? And as we do that, uh, let me share some principles that are actually good ones that maybe you can begin to apply that uh, maybe if you're going on the wrong things. And so I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to share with you something called the greatness principle. The greatness principle is found throughout Scripture. 
It's not just in one passage. It's not like the great commitment or the great commandments or the great compassion. It's not just like one little place. It's a principle. It's, it's found throughout the pages of Scripture, right? So in this series, as we're going through these great passages, the great commandments, the great compassion, the great commission, and we, even when we look into the great commitment, right, there is, there is a principle that kind of cuts through all of those, through all of Scripture, and it's called the greatness principle. And uh, it's, uh, it's a common principle. It's something that we see that uh, can be applied by all people. It's, uh, it's not ever called in Scripture. If you have a concordance, you're not going to be able to look it up and say, hey, where's the greatness principle? It's not like it's ever called that, although Jesus comes pretty close to calling it that several times, but we certainly find it. Um, and even in like the Jesus teaches it over a dozen times in the New Testament itself, uh, this principle. So it's something for, I think, that Scripture wants us to gain. And so we want to get to it. Uh, Matthew twenty three eleven. as we were there memorizing it, said the greatest amongst you will be what? Your servant. Well done. You guys remembered. That was like four and a half minutes ago. I know because it was on the clock. And you guys remembered. Well done. Right? The greatest amongst you will be a servant. Right? There's a principle. He begins there. When Jesus said the greatest will be, it lets you, our ears should perk up. Right? It should say, what does is, what is God view as great? Greatest amongst you will be your servant. Matthew twenty three eleven it says, will be your servant. And uh, let's set the context to this passage, right? What is Jesus talking about and who is he talking to when he says this? Greatest amongst who? He is talking to the religious elite. That's who he's talking to. He's going toe-to-toe with them, actually. Right after this, he ends up telling them, he's like, you know, woe to you, you Pharisees and, you, you know, you blind guides and all. You ever get that part where Jesus, you know, begins? This is right before that. This is right after the, these, these Pharisees are trying to challenge him and say, why should we listen to you? What makes you so great? Why are you the Messiah, right? And they have all this pomp and all this stuff, and they're trying to challenge him and all this, and they ask him, trying to trick him, hey, what's the most important thing that God wants you to do? And he says, well, here's what he wants you to do. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Start with that. And then he goes on and he says, all right, you know if you want to be great? The greatest amongst you, he says, is going to be your servant. It's in the context of hypocrisy when he's addressing that. It's the context of saying, what does God want from us? And saying, it's not just what we do, but how we do it. It was in the midst of speaking to people who who feel like they had the law just right, but were doing it in the wrong way. And so right on the heels of us studying that great commandments and how to apply that, I think in Scripture, contextually, we need to get the heart. He says, here's a principle here. Those who exalt themselves are going to be humbled. That's not where greatness comes from, but our world seems to think that that's where greatness comes from. Have you listened to most uh, music uh, uh, coming out in the last, I don't know, 10 years? A lot of the songs are like, I am the greatest because I'm better than you, and you're not me, and you'll never be me because I'm me, and you're not me, and I'm better than you. That kind of stuff. I mean, I, I summarized a lot. <laughs> but it's there. A lot of celebrities, right? Step up, say, I'm the best. No one's as good as me. I got this. I'm better than... That's the idea. Exalt themselves. But God said, that is not where greatness comes from. In fact, here's, a, here's an amazing thing. Uh, most of us, we're going to have you know, a, a generation after us that's going to come up, and they're not going to know any of these celebrities. They're, they're going to be a board game like Trailer Pursuit, and they're going to be one generation removed, and they're going to be like, who is that? Right? Greatness doesn't come from exalting yourself. So where does it come from, he says? Well, Matthew 18 says this. There was another time that Jesus was addressing a different group of people. These were his disciples. 
And they too would also like to know where greatness comes from. And it says at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Because if you're going to be great, one as well ask him, right? All of us want to do something. There's like, they're giving their lives to this. Where does greatness come from? How do I get to be the best? And Jesus, he does something amazing. He answers them this way. He called a little child to him and he placed the child amongst them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he explains. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. You see, it wasn't that you have to be a child to get into the kingdom of heaven, but takes the lowly position. Think about children. They don't have much position in society. They don't get to vote, right? They don't even get to vote like where you get to go to dinner for a lot of people, right? They're like, what do you want for dinner? I don't care. You're a kid. This is what we're having, right? Kids are very vulnerable. Children are very vulnerable. They don't get to lord their ideas over people, right? They're like, I want popsicles. And you're in the grocery store. You're like, vetoed, (laughs) right? You don't even debate it. You have this position of this child and says, if you want to be great, start here. And not only that, a lot of us don't like to associate with people we think is going to bring us down in our social level, do we? Like we say, uh, we have people that are kind of the same social level that we are, and then there are people that may be in like a l- the sphere that we think will maybe a little higher than us, and we, it's okay to meet with people on your own level, and great if you get somebody else that's maybe, you think, maybe a little more popular, more, more like that's why we like meeting celebrities, right? Because now it's like me and them, we're, we're connected, right? It might pull me up. But... To meet with those who are in a lower social sphere, that's scary for a lot of people because you're like, what if they drag me down? And Jesus said, you know, you welcome one of these children in my name, you're actually welcoming me. He's turning everything on its head. He goes on to say uh, uh, about, in this passage, about how we begin to live that kind of, of greatness. Now, Matthew 20 is another passage where we find this. I would like you to turn there. It's on uh, page 690 if you have one of our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, um, we've got a bunch of them in the back little bookshelf, and you can use one. And if you need a Bible, just keep it, our gift to you. And as you turn to page 690 in the Gospel of Matthew, um, I know that that chapter 20 actually begins on the page earlier, uh, uh, 689, but we're starting in verse 20, so I just did the work for you. You're welcome. All right. Verse 20, we read this. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked him a favor. And this is James and John, the apostle's mom. And you'd love it when your mom, you know, talks to your boss and asks for a raise. That's got to be awesome. But that's the situation. That's what we got. And it says this, What would you, what do you want? Jesus asked. And she said, Grant that one of my two sons may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, this had nothing to do with like seating order like on an airplane. That's not what she's, she's talking about. This is about positions of authority. It's like, uh, who's Jesus' right-hand man, right? He's going to be the vice, the vice emperor of the universe. That's kind of what she's asking, right? Let my sons have those high positions of authority. So Jesus, in verse 22, says, well, you don't know what you're ta- asking, and then he says, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Now, apparently, James and John were with their mom when they did this, which just shows a lot of cowardice. If you want to be great, you know, like you really want to show, like I want to be something awesome, it's probably best if you're going to ask for the promotion. Don't ask your mom to do it for you. That just shows. But they didn't get the memo. So they were there with him. And he says, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? And they said, we can, they answered. 
And he wasn't talking about a liquid like a, like a beverage. He's like the suffering, going on the cross, you know, dying for the world's sins, all this. And they said, uh, they said, we can. And Jesus said to them, well, you indeed will drink my cup. But to sit at my right and my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And when they heard this, they were indignant. Or when the ten heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And I think this is funny because all those ten, they were upset, right? They're like, how dare you talk to Jesus about becoming you know, better than us? But every one of them would like to be the vice principal of the president of the world and the universe, right? Every one of them wanted that greatness, right? So now they're upset because they're like, those guys got the jump on us, right? And they're mad. And so in they're upset and they're talking it over and Jesus sees what's happening together. So it says in verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the Gentiles lorded over them and, and their, uh, you know that the, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Things are going to be different in God's kingdom. Instead, he said, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's huge. Are you catching a theme so far with some of these passages? I hope it's kind of like beat you over the head with a brick kind of uh, solid stuff, right? It's really, it's not rocket science. But look at this. The, the, the disciples want to be great, just like the Sadducees and the Pharisees wanted to be great. And it was the same answer for both. It, it starts with this. I mean, look at the, the, the context in either way. You have the laws, how do you apply it? You want to be great in the kingdom, how do you apply it? And Jesus said, you know, if you want to be great, it starts with something about laying yourself down, humility. And then he sets the example. He said, because who's, who's greater than Jesus? And he says, all right, I'll set the example for you. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others. Humans, we have this idea that greatness means, I know I'm great when I'm greatly served. Isn't that true? Like, if I'm a great person, other people will serve me greatly. But Jesus said, if you want to be great, you have to greatly serve. And that goes to our greatness principle. The greatness principle simply is this, greatness comes through serving greatly. It's the opposite of what we would expect, which is why so many people miss it. Why so many people end up with celebrity and they miss out on greatness entirely. New Testament is full of examples of how this works. Matthew twenty twenty eight, Jesus did say, the greatest example is me in my life. I think if you want to look at greatness, look at the people who became great and look at Christ. He came great and he said, listen, I didn't come to get all kinds of service. I came so that I could serve. And in that is where he became great. So how do we begin to apply this? Well, we start with humility. Great service begins with humility. Humility is not thinking badly of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself, right? It's, it's thinking of others. Jesus said, whoever wants to be great is going to take on the lowly position of a child. Isn't that what he said? The lowly position. It's important to realize that there's a level of humility thinking that I'm all of this and saying, you know, even if I am all of that, I don't have to live according to it. 
Jesus set the example for us. Philippians chapter 2, it tells us this. We, we looked at this verse last week, but now we're going to look at the in bigger context of this passage. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, it says, in humility, which is important, because if you missed that, you missed it all. Rather, in humility, we're supposed to value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. Isn't that humility? And then he goes on. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. He sets the example. Who, it says, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality God something to be used to his advantage. Now think about that. On your resume, you might have some impressive things, but there could be nothing more impressive you could put on your resume than God. <laughs> right? I am the supreme creator of all things, the ruler of all the dominions and domains, right? I am all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, right? That's a pretty impressive thing to put on your resume. Jesus has the, he is God. And so we think about humbling yourself. Who is least likely to humble themselves? You would think, well, the one who is the most supreme, God. And Jesus says, I have that, but I'm not going to use it for my own gain. Now, certainly he used his divinity for our gain. But it would have been easy for Jesus to come down, you know, like, be born. Like, even if he came into a manger, that would be fine. But, you know, grows up a little bit and is like, hey, watch this. Water to wine for everybody, right? And then I'm also going to walk on water and I'm going to do all these things. And I'm going to demand now that everybody in the world worship me or my angels will kill you. See, he stopped at a certain point, didn't he? He didn't just like stop time and space and have lightning bolts just strike people who didn't were, were frustrating for him. He humbled himself. And so he didn't consider use his, his nature, his position that he naturally had, his design, his, his privilege, his skills. He didn't use that to put others down. He didn't use that for his own advantage. But it says, rather it says, he made himself nothing. And how would God make himself nothing? By taking on the very nature of a servant. You know that word servant's a fun word because it means to serve. There's action in it. He actually went down and he, he did the humble things. And being made in human likeness and found in appearance of a man, it says he humbled himself. Even that, becoming the nature of man. See how much God humbled himself and become one of us? And even at that, wasn't enough. He said, oh, no, no. It wasn't enough that I would humble myself to become like a man. No, no, no. He humbled himself even more even by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the, the lowest level of service that you can possibly get, right? Where you say, my life is not worth as much as yours. He laid down his life for us. That is the, the extreme of humility, isn't it? Your needs above mine. And so it goes on. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those that exalt themselves are humbled and those that humble themselves are exalted. And Jesus showed us that's the way that it works. That's an amazing principle for us, right? We see that greatness begins with humility. If we are living our lives and we are not humbling ourselves, we are not serving other people, if we are thinking about me and my what I want to have out of my life and how I want other people to serve me greatly, we are going to miss out on greatness. But if we begin with this, 
I will serve others. I will see the need and I will lay down myself what I have the ability to do. I will lay down myself for others. That is the beginning of greatness. That's where it starts. But that's not where it ends, right? Attitude has to come, but great service also requires great action. Service is an action word, isn't it? You can't just mentally serve. Like, if I asked my son, hey, uh, would you take out the garbage? And he's like, well, certainly I will think about it. That's, you know, deeply I would love that garbage to go away. And I would love it for you to not have to do it. But if he doesn't take it out, it's not service. Service requires action. Good intentions are not enough. And I think this is the problem that we get to in a lot of time in Christianity where it keeps us from following along and becoming the great Christians that God has called us to be so we can be the great church that he's called us to be so we can do the great things that he's called us to do. It's this. We get stuck in this of saying, you know what? God just loves me no matter what, and he does, and therefore I don't have to take any action. He will forgive me. Yes, he will. And therefore, because he's going to forgive me, I can continue to offend him as much as I want. And we don't put it in those terms, those words, but it's exactly what we do. We'll say, Lord, I would love to obey you, but it's so inconvenient, and I know you're going to forgive me anyway. And it just brings you all the more glory if I, if I give you this chance to forgive me, because look how much more forgiving you are. We do this. And we miss out on the great things. There is an action that is necessary. Proverbs 3, I love Proverbs, book of wisdom, and it says this, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. How often do we do that? I see a need. I would love to meet that need, except for I don't want to meet that need, and so I'm not going to right now. I'll get back to it later says, do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you have it already with you. God has given us what we need in order to serve him. But oftentimes you're like, well, the timing's not great. And so I'm just not going to, to just serve him right now. I don't want to serve these people right now because the, it's not ideal in the circumstance and the situation for me. And so I will come back hopefully later. And later rarely happens. Service requires action. Now, I get this. You can't do everything. And I hear this all the time. People tell me, and because I, I get paralyzed by this too. We take the blinders off and we see the pain in the world. And we see all the stuff out there and we're like, I can't do it all. And because I can't do it all, we say, I'm not going to do anything. God didn't ask you to do it all. He, he asked you to serve where he gives you opportunity. And so... Uh, we can't allow the excuse of that I can't be the savior of the world. Jesus is the savior of the world. We can't allow that excuse to keep me from doing nothing because if all Christians don't do anything, then nobody's doing anybody's part and then nothing happens. So here's where I go through. Like when, when there's a lot of opportunity in the world and we start to feel overwhelmed, talk to God about it. Right Now, there are certain things that are in your power to do that you just need to do and you need to pray about it. That's like, it's like if you're at Safeway and somebody pulls out you know, their wallet and some cash falls on the ground, right? You don't have to ask God, hey, should I tell them that their money fell out of their pocket? Right? Because he'll smack you beside the head. He's like, duh, right? You just do that. There are times when it's very clear. But there are bigger things, opportunities. Maybe it was an opportunity to adopt or take a foster kid in or maybe an opportunity to help a, a family go through a very difficult time. Or to, I mean, there are some things that may come across your way that are bigger investments, right? 
Sometimes what you need to do is ask God. Say, I feel a little compelled to this. Is this really what you want from me? And ask him. Now, you have to be honest when you ask him because he will tell you and you have to then, you have a responsibility to respond. Sometimes God says, no. This is not what I, I somebody else is going to be reaching this. I'm gonna, it's not for you. And so you have to say as much as I would feel compelled to that, I can't. Sometimes God says, hey, slow down. Right? I'm glad you got a heart for this, and yes, in the right time, you're going to meet this need, but not right at this particular moment. There's something better coming. And God does give those answers, but he doesn't give them as often as I like to think that he would. Most of the time, God says, go. Do it. And when God says, go do it, now we need to do it. That's the time when it gets hard, isn't it? Because those are the times you're like, God, should I help this person? Please say no. Right? That's where a lot of us, that's because they're like, I don't want to be inconvenienced by this. Please, please, please say no. And he's like, nope, go do it. And you're like, oh, now? <laughs> yes. Don't withhold from your brother, your neighbor, when you have it, your power to act. A wise life begins understanding that service, humility, the time for humility is now. A lot of people made um, uh, these commitments over the beginning of the year we, uh, for the New Year's resolutions. You might have heard of them. And... Uh, and so a lot of times people fail on these because they get into this mindset of perfection, like everything's got to line up. Before I start this diet, I need to make sure that my house has no whatever's in the house, no cookies or whatever my weakness is. I'm going to remove all the pictures of those things from my, right? I'm going to make sure that I don't, I'm not meeting with people who will offer me those things on my schedule. And like everything's got to line up in the ideal so I can succeed. And the reality is, is that is not reality. You will never be in the ideal. There is never an ideal time to take action, right? But it's always the right time for faithfulness, always, in the time when it's not ideal, right? Ask Noah, was it an ideal time for you to build a boat in the middle of a field? He'd be like, eh, probably not the most ideal time. You know, the whole world was pretty much against me, so I would have been a lot better, right? Not what I had on my agenda for the next 200 years, right? The time to act is now. So one of the challenges we have is great compassion starts with humility, but it also requires action. Now, how do we serve? There are five ways that we can serve things that we have, and because I'm a pastor, I made these alliterate, and it took me a while to do that, so please appreciate these things. The very first one is this. I can serve others with my time, right? Everybody has the same amount of time. There's nobody who has got more time than others, right? Everyone, 24 hours a day. Right? So some people say, well, you're so busy. Everybody's busy. Everybody spends 24 hours every single day. Every human. There's no person that spends 23 hours and gets to bank an hour right, and saves it for later. <laughs> right? And there's nobody who gets 27 hours a day and they're just like, oh, you're so wealthy in your time. You have no idea what it's like for us time-impoverished people. Everybody gets 24 hours. Right? All of us have a limited amount. We can't save. We can't store. We, we, so we have to invest it. And what do we spend that time on? It matters. And we could spend a lot of that time just on selfish pursuits, on things that I want to do. And I think one of the hardest things for us to do is to take that time that we don't get back and to be able to pour it into somebody else. You know what's not time efficient? Sitting with somebody as they grieve. That's not a time efficient use of, of it just takes a while. It does. No, it's not time efficient. It's going out of your way and stopping and helping somebody when they have trouble. 
I was uh, leaving the store earlier this week, and uh, I had one of those wonderful plastic bags that they give you because I know I forgot my reusable. Sorry. And so I was leaving, and a can, and it ripped open, right? And so then a can rolls this way, and then a box falls down, and a can rolls that way. And I'm like, ah, because I'm a parking lot, and I don't want to die, but I don't want to lose these things because I don't want to go back and buy them again, right? And somebody stopped their cart in the middle of this thing, came over, and just picked up the two cans that were rolling, gave them to me. took them time. It was a huge help. Out of their way. Time. You have time. And it's impossible to serve people without investing time. You cannot, there's no time-neutral way to serve other people. You have to say, you know what, my time first belongs to God. I'm going to love him and other people. And I'm going to be willing to invest it to serve others. Next thing that you have are your talents. Those are the things that you're good at. You say, I'm going to use these gifts not just for my own benefit but for others. Early on in my marriage, uh, I I got to be an electrician. I hated it. I hated every minute of it. It was awful. I, I didn't like being zapped. That, imagine that. I, I didn't enjoy the heights and I hated the spiders. Right? There was just nothing that I enjoyed about that. But I gained some skills whilst I was doing that. And God has allowed me to use those skills later on in my life to help people. It's a talent. Right? You have talents and abilities. We went through a series not very long ago uh, talking about those, how you were shaped by God for ministry. And if you missed that, go to our website, funchurch.com. It's got tools and things to help you figure out what are your talents so you can invest them intentionally in other people to care for those. How about this? I serve others with my treasure. Yep, that's your money and that's also your belongings. God calls us to do that. He says before we belong in, own anything, we belong to him. And one of the beautiful things we saw at the early church is that they were willing to serve one another and meet each other's needs. Like I said, uh, serving others is oftentimes costly. And that's okay. It's humbling yourself saying, not thinking of myself, how I would like these, but how I can serve you. Another way that we get to serve other people is through our talk. This is where alliteration had to come in. The words that we say I don't think we have any idea of the power of the tongue. It says so many times in Scripture how powerful our tongue is, but how we speak to other people. You know, you can have the same conversation with the person, you can belittle them, or you can lift them up. Isn't it true? How we talk and what we say. Are you using your words to cause division and to beat people down? Are you using it, as it says in Scripture, to build one another up according to their needs? Not yours. Think about our words and how we're, how, what we're saying why we're saying the things we are, who we're saying the things that we are. We're using our words as an investment. Are we humbling ourselves? Are we using our words to try to build ourselves up? Because here's a great uh, principle that God gives us. If we use our words to just build ourselves up, guess what God's going to do? He's going to bring us down so we will know that we, we shouldn't be there. But if we use our words to lift others up, well, great things happen. Another thing that we get to do, this is a fun one, this is our testimony. Everybody likes to, to work in areas that they're an expert in, right? I love to, when I talk to people, you always ask them what they're good at, and then they can talk and talk and talk and talk what we know something about. That's where our testimony is, firsthand experience. So like if you get called to go to court to, be a, to testify, they're not going to ask you about somebody else's experience. They're going to ask you about your experience, right? Because you're the resident expert on your experience. Our testimony matters. You know, uh, it says in the Word that we go through difficult things and God walks us through those difficult things so that, one of the reasons he does, so that we can use that experience to help other people when they're also going through difficult things, right? Your testimony matters. To say, I survived that and I saw God in it, it matters. 
Not only this, it's not just the things our life experience that is a testimony that helps other people that we're willing to share, letting open up our vulnerabilities and our experiences, but also this. It's our, uh, it's our testimony that goes to our uh, Jesus as our Lord. We're able to talk to, we say, you know what, I've seen God in my life. That's a huge thing. You know, our faith is a reasonable faith. That's why I came to, to my faith, really, at first. Is I did an investigation of all the major religions, and I did all of that stuff, and I looked, and I said, which one is most reasonable? First, is it reasonable not to have faith at all? And when I came to a place to say, you know what, it's more reasonable to have faith than not. It takes more faith to not have faith in a creator than it does to have one. Then I began following, and then I studied, and I realized that the evidence of the resurrection and all these things that have made a whole lot of sense, that took a whole lot more, less faith for me to accept Jesus than it did for me to deny him. And at that point is when I made the mental sense, I'm going to become a Christian, but that is not when I became a Christian. It was when I saw God alive in other people's lives. When they began telling me, this is how he changed me. In my experience, 20 years in ministry, I've never argued one person into the kingdom. I can give all the evidence till I'm blue in the face because it's there. But what changes people is when they see God. And when you say, you know what? I was broken and this is how God came into my life. This is how he changed me. This is the hope that he's given me. This is the purpose that he's given me. This is how I see his hand in my life. That testimony is powerful. A life with God needs to be testified to and you can bless other people by talking about it. Now, I hit the button too soon so you see this next one. So surprise. Great service leads to blessing. It's not that God just calls us to lay ourselves down. He says those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's a good thing. That's what he wants. Now, blessings are great things. Wouldn't we all agree? So think about it. Great service leads to great things. That's the way our God works. He's a great God. And so look at this. Matthew 5, 6, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is talking about letting our faith be lived out loud in this passage. That's the context. He says, don't hide your faith like you would put a candle under a, a basket. So that's ridiculous. Nobody does that. Right? And he says in the same way, you need to let your light, you put a, you put a candle, if you turn a lamp on in your house, we don't have candles. You have lights in your house. Right? And you put them on the ceilings or on, on stands, on lampstands and things like that so it shines out. He said, that's the way that your faith should be. Live your faith out loud in this culture, in this dark world. Why? Well, that they may see your good deeds. And is it so they can glorify you and say, oh, you're such an awesome person? No, that they're going to glorify your Father in heaven. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that a great thing? When the world begins to see God for who he is and begins to, to praise him for that? How many years have we prayed for revival? Right? We want the world to be able to step up and say, God is awesome because he is and he's loving and he's kind and he's good. It begins with this. We cannot be huddled up, cloistered in our own little group and living our faith in secret. Live your, your life, your faith, serve others so that they can see those good works, not for the glorifying you, but they can glorify God. That's the first and an amazing blessing. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus says in John 13, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed. What is he talking about? What things that you know? Well, here's the context. Jesus was just had washed his disciples' feet. Right? He says, you call me Lord and teacher, and it's right that you do, but here I am washing your feet. Right? 
And you've seen me serve you, so you must serve each other. Then he says in that, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If you serve humbly, you will be blessed. And other people call the greatness principle, they word it like this. They say, God blesses those who bless others. And there's a truth in that. The reason I don't like saying it that way is it can be misunderstood for people to think I'm going to manipulate God, like he's some kind of vending machine. I'm going to bless others, so that way I get blessing. Ching, ching, right? It's not <laughs> humble service, great service. That's, that's where blessing comes from. But there's a truth to it. When I lay myself down, when I humble myself, God exalts me. Not maybe, he will. If you do these things, you'll be blessed. How blessed will I be, you ask? Well, he says the greatest amongst you will be your servant, right? The greatest, right? How we, how we humble ourselves impacts how greatly we will be blessed. It says those who humble themselves will be exalted. We allow God to lift us up. And in that, we see this. It says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into your lap. For the measure you use will be a measure to you. Have you heard that passage before? Now, normally this is used in time when we talk about tithing, isn't it? That's when pastors like to bring this out, and it's, it, it works. But in context, the first, the original, the direct interpret, uh, thing that he, Jesus is talking about, he's, he's giving a very famous sermon, and he's talking about how we're supposed to show mercy. It's that very same passage that says, don't judge others or you're going to be judged by other people, right? He says, you know what? You're supposed to forgive other people. Show them mercy, and it's in that context that he says, in that if you show mercy, guess what? You give it, guess what will be given to you? More mercy. Given to you in good measure. Then pressed down, if that wasn't enough, like, hey, uh, here's, here's a little mercy. And then he's like, no, that's not enough. And then he's like, oh, we're going to shake that down and take all of the air out of it. And we're going to more mercy and then pour it in and put it in your lap and say, that's not enough. And just dump mercy on top of you. Right? That's the idea. When we serve... We are blessed, but also the measure which we are blessed matters the measure that we are willing to stumble ourselves and to serve. Jesus emptied his life out for the entire world, right? Death on the cross, super, super humbling himself, right? Became God, became person, became dead, right? Came back to life, super humbling, became the name above all names. We get to follow. Now, this is a, a great principle for us. It's called, there's another principle here that we see in scripture. It's the principle of sowing and reaping, um, I'm not a gardener, but I hear from gardeners that you plant a plant and whatever seed you use, that's the plant you get, right? So if I want corn, I have to sow corn. And if I sow corn, then I get corn at harvest time, right? And scripture says it's the way that it works. So it, it says uh, you, you get what you sow. So don't be fooled, it says. So if I want love, I plant love into my life. And then guess what I'll get? More love. If I want mercy, I got to plant mercy in my life for other people. And guess what will happen? Eventually I'll get more mercy. It says, uh, although if I want, uh, it says some people plant uh, to the wind, they sow to the wind and they weep the whirlwind, right? So things get worse. If you, if you plant sin and selfishness and all that kind of stuff, guess what you get back? But here's another principle. That's only the first half of the principle of sowing and reaping. This is the fun part. You get more than what you plant, right? Think about farmers. If this didn't work, every one of them would be out of business. They plant a corn, and then all of a sudden they get corn and now they have enough to sell and enough to eat and enough to plant for the next year. Whatever we plant into our life, we receive back and we receive back multiple fold. If we humble ourselves, God will bring back an amazing amount of, of blessing. 
We have to trust him, but the measure is up to us. What do we do? It says in Scripture, sometimes people just give a little, so they get back not much. But those who invest a lot receive a whole lot more. It's how much are you willing to give of yourself to God and to serve others? Greatness demands that we give as a great thing. So uh, what happens when we miss out? What if we choose not to sow? What if we choose not to invest, not to give, not to humble ourselves? Well, I think we miss out on the best things in life, don't we? How many people are celebrities, are famous, are, have wealth and all these things, but are empty and hollow and upset and feel like they've wasted their life? How many people have great careers but feel, but feel unfulfilled in life? So fulfillment has very little to do. When we exalt ourselves, oftentimes we find ourselves very humbled. When we humble ourselves, God exalts us. We don't want to be miss out on the best things in life, the joy, the love, the purpose, the passion of life. This comes starting with humility and serving others. Also, if we, if we don't do that, we also miss out of this. We become distant from God, don't we? Lives that are selfish, we oftentimes don't sense God. <laughs> we become distant from him, frustrated in faith. It becomes hard. And when we invest in God, we are blessed. He meets us. And how are we blessed? Well, I like to show you. There's four major ways in my life I've seen in the world that we, I see that we get blessings. The first one is tangible. There are times that God gives us tangible blessings. This isn't all the time. But it happens, and when it does, it's amazing. Um, there's a good story that, that, that represents that shows. A couple years ago, there's a gal in our church, single gal. She was working, and um, God had been working in her heart silently, whatever, saying that she was wanting to tithe, and she knew she needed to. So then, she, right before Christmas, at the exact worst time, because I don't know if you know about this, Nestus, but in the wintertime, it's hard to you know get money because there's not many people. So, um, so she took money for a tithe and she set it aside and then she gave it right before Christmas. Huge sacrifice for her. I knew nothing about it. The reason I know about it is because she came back in January and she said, Aaron, I got to tell you what happened. I said, well, tell me what happened. She said, well, here I was. I was convicted to tithe and I knew that I needed to, but I didn't want to, but I did anyway. And so I did and I gave this amount of money. And then right after that, like right after that, she got a, a, a Christmas bonus. She never got a Christmas bonus. Like her boss never gave Christmas bonus. The exact amount that she tithed. Exact amount. She's like, what? And I said, that is awesome. She says, I'm not done. <laughs> I said, well, let's hear. And she said, then a week later, so my boss came to say there was a problem in the books. And the Christmas bonus gave me was the wrong amount. It was supposed to be twice that much. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> I was like, ooh. She says, I think that it was a mess up for me to know that this was from God, that God gave me this, so she wouldn't miss it. There are times when God gives us tangible blessings, and those are amazing when they happen and we see him and we enjoy the fact that we see his hand in our life, and they're wonderful and they do. But that's not the only way that God gives us blessings. In fact, it's not the most common way. The most common way I've found is, is this one, is the intangible way. And these are deep and wonderful blessings. Happen almost every time. You ever notice like when you help somebody, you feel good? Right? When you begin serving other people, all of a sudden you have a contentment in your life, a purpose that you're living for. And also, uh, in our church, there was a person who began serving at Crossroads. Busy person, successful person. And every week they would go and they would serve, packing boxes and putting stuff on the shelves at Crossroads. Right? And here's, we have Estes, we have a lot of people who travel and do all these kind of things, they had a good job and all this kind of stuff, starts packing boxes, doing all that kind of stuff. And, and it was just an amazing testimony. Here's this guy who's very, very busy and all this, and, and here he is, standing in a room all alone, 
putting stuff in a box, put on a shelf. The other day I was talking to him. I got to take him out for coffee and ask him about why is he doing this. And he says, that's the most powerful, meaningful time of my entire week. I, look, I, will, I would miss everything else, but not that. Because it gives me purpose. <laughs> it's the best possible time. Like he was actually using his gifts, his times, his talent, all that kind of stuff. He was spending his time helping other people. There are amazing and tangible blessings. That's why we all love like uh, canned food drives. You ever like those? Because they're easy, right? We give a couple cans of food that we probably weren't going to eat anyway and it makes us feel good. Right? That's why people do. They're intangible blessings. Well, this part of it was designed into us. When we serve other people, it gives us a different perspective on life. But that's not only it. Another way that God blesses us is greater influence. A lot of people want influence. They think that's where greatness is. I know I'm great because I have influence and I want people to listen to what I have to say. Well, if you demand it, it happens very slowly. But we'll find if people start to serve just humbly, quietly, even in the church, you'll see somebody that just comes in and says, you know what, I, wanna, I just want to help. And they start helping and before long, all of a sudden, other people are coming to them for advice and all those things. I think a great example is, is a Pastor James. I think one of the most humble people I've ever met in my entire life. You know, came here with his wife, you know, 20-some years ago, you know, quietly just began serving. And now he's one of our pastors. And never once has he demanded, you know, hey, you have to respect me or all those kind of things. Just that quiet, gentle humility leads to great influence. Think of some of the people in your life that you respect so much. Aren't those some of the people who just served you, cared for you, and when they got nothing out of it? And all of a sudden, because of that... You begin to give them greater influence. Greater influence is, is a huge blessing that we gain. Another thing that we also gain is this. Sometimes we get to see miracles. Not all the time. You know, it's seeing God in our life. Um, I can't say that I've seen like tons of miracles so that I like walk around and that's like, like walking on water and, you know, my water's never turned to wine or anything like that. But I have seen God in my life. I remember uh, a time where I was praying for a person very dear to me who was an alcoholic and for decades and just pretty much given up hope, right? Because the person didn't seem like they were going to change and it looked like everything was going to crash around them, all that kind of stuff. And just I started praying, and three weeks later to the day, they decided that they, they were going to make a change. That was a miracle. I don't care anyway, the, the timing of that. Like I had talked to that person, nothing else happened. It was all of a sudden God just got in their life and like, nope, you're going to change. There are miracles. We get to see God in our life. And if we want to see God in our life, we have to be walking along the path that he's, he tasks us to walk, right? And that's a path of humility. Great service. So there are ways we say God blesses us. How does he exalt you? How does he lift you up? Those are some great ways that he does that. There's one more that I didn't put on here. And that's this. We think of greatness being exalted. A good word for that is celebrity, right? In our world, there are celebrities if you turn on the late show at night or whatever and you see like the talk show host will bring celebrities out and people get to sometimes meet the celebrities and they all get Twitter-pated and they're like, ah, right? Like, because this world, that's what we exalt and yet we know that sometime, like in the future, like in one generation, no one's gonna know who they are and all this kind of stuff, but still we're like, oh, greatness, right? This. You think, when God exalts you, he exalts you. We'll be exalted in the kingdom. I kind of want to be a big deal in the kingdom of God, right? Now think about like Moses, he'll be a big deal, won't he? humbled himself. In fact, Scripture says most humble man alive, so that's pretty awesome since he wrote it. I think that's just hilarious. You know, it had to kill him to write that. Like, are you sure, God? Like, you have to write it. All right, right? When you get to the kingdom of God, like, the old lines around the block saying, hey, Moses, 
let's talk about that, that, those plagues. That'd be awesome. And they'd be like, no, it was pretty lousy. You know, walking through the Red Sea. Do you have the staff still and all that? We'll be asking questions, right? Or Jeremiah. You see Jeremiah in heaven. And they'd be like, dude, are you feeling better? Like, you know, everybody will know a story. Right? Talk to Jonah, right? I mean, there'll be people in heaven you want to talk to because they, they were there when great things happened and God did great things in their life. God can work great things. He can bring us. He will exalt the most humble. The people in this world that nobody notices, nobody sees, there will be a day coming where he says the goals who were the least will be the greatest. Let's live our lives for the great things. Not for this temporary world. Let's live our lives for the great things. What a blessing that will be. So, how do we apply this greatness principle? Well, the bottom thing, serving greatly. That's the challenge this week, right? The challenge is to serve greatly. That's what I want us to do. How do we serve greatly? What are ways that we do that? We'll start with your family, the people that you live around. Think about how can I serve them? How can I meet their needs, right? How can I begin? Stop thinking about my needs. Start thinking about theirs. Or about your church. You know that you can actually serve your church. It's a great thing to do. There are amazing things that are happening, and you can use your gifts and abilities. And if you want to talk to me about that and how you can get connected in that, um, you can actually uh, sign up here for a... um, for a ministry interview by just on the back, you can write ministry interview and I will meet with you. Let me try to connect with you, help you figure out how you can connect. Also, serve your community. We're not supposed to only serve in the church, but through the church. I mean, there are a lot of great places in the community. You can be a mentor for a kid. You can help with uh, evicts. You can help with uh, crossroads or, or the uh, life choices. You can help going down to Prospect Park, the living center, and going and visiting folks. There are a thousand ways that you can serve in our community. If you want to get out, I mean, p- uh, parents for Estes and all this kind of stuff, there are tons of ways that our world needs Christ. Go out and serve so that the world can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So serve greatly. Now, to get you started, some things that will help you in that because starting a new thing takes uh, a new habit, takes some help. So the first thing I do, if you take out your connection card on the back, I've got some ideas, some things that will help you get started. And the very first thing I'm going to challenge you to do is memorize Matthew 23. Why should I have you memorize the great compassion? Because we need to think about how it means. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Think on this this week. Maybe that's what you begin to challenge. I even gave you the memory verse cards to help you. How about the next thing? Why don't you read the story of Joseph? That's found in the book of Genesis. It's an amazing story about a guy who was pretty darn humbled. He started out proud, right? He exalted himself, and then he was humbled, and then he became a slave, and then and he became a prisoner, and he continued to serve, and then eventually became vice uh, pharaoh of Egypt and does some awesome stuff. A great story that actually happened Maybe you read that so you can see this principle in work. Or how about this? Maybe you have a ministry interview. Meet with me. Say, I'd like to serve. Let's go to, through together and let's talk about how God made you and what he's designed you to do and help you begin serving in that. Or maybe this last one here. Maybe you just need to serve gravely. You, you know that you were made for this. You need to begin to serve greatly, which means that you have to start with humility and you actually take some action. And so this week, you're committing to saying, God, I'm going to choose to start thinking of others' needs above myself, right? And I'm going to actually start putting work, putting action to, to my love <laughs> and begin doing that this week. Maybe that's where you begin. Maybe there's something else. Let me know because I'm your pastor and I love to pray for you. And I do pray for you every week. So if you let me know how to pray, there's that last line. If you tell me what's going on, I'll know exactly. I'll pray very specifically. And it's been so cool to see in these last couple of years how God has answered some of these prayers uh, in such amazing ways. So let me pray for you. I'll write that down there. In a minute, we're going to take our offering. When we take our offering, please uh, take this connection card, put it in the basket along with your tithes and your offerings. 
make this a commitment and an offering yourself to God. All right, well, let's pray for our offerings and our commitments, and then uh, we'll have the worship team come back, uh, close us out. Heavenly Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your great God. Thank you that you are not just great in, in your power, but you're also great in your compassion and your kindness and your mercy. So, Father, help us to follow the, the example of Christ. Let us live great lives as we serve others greatly. Lord, it's not in our nature to be humble, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to choose humility, to seek others' needs above our own. Father, as we can serve others in a way that brings you glory. Father, for these commitments that we've made, each one of us today, help us to keep them this week in a way that honors you, that draws us closer to you, that they wouldn't just be good works that we're doing, but Father, we would connect with you in in real relationship. And Father, we also want to pray for our tithes and our offerings. Lord, thank you for the ability to, to invest in your kingdom, and that's a prayer that's exactly what it would be. Lord, I pray that you would grow your kingdom in our hearts and our lives and our church. Father, help us and the financial team, the pastors, the staff to, to invest those funds wisely and according to your, your desires for our community, for our church, in a way that demonstrates your love. And all of this, Father, we're going to pray that you receive glory, and Father, that you would grow our church great in faithfulness. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.